0: You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho.
1: And Sam Collier. And today we are super excited to introduce you to Katrina D. Richard. She has performed on stages across the city of Chicago and the Chicagoland area, as well as worked behind the scenes as a writer, producer, and director. She was born and bred on the south side of Chicago, and the city continues to hold a special place in her heart and is one of the primary places she writes about. Katrina served Chicago Public Schools for over a decade, teaching high school social science, and she uses her history background in her writing as well. She's working on her MFA in Dramatic Writing at the University of Southern California, where she was recently awarded the Joan Bieber Playwriting Award. Her mission is to illuminate marginalized voices, tell stories that have never been told before, and tell classic stories with a fresh perspective. Her new play, Call for the Wailing Women, will premiere as part of Black Lives, Black Words' international project, Plays for the People, an online play season celebrating the diversity of the African-American and African experience in today's world. And that is happening October 22nd to 25th. Katrina, welcome to the show. We're so
2: excited to talk to you. Hi. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's just dive right in.
1: So, yeah. we like to start by asking people about their earliest memories. So, what was your
2: life like before you ever heard of theater? Oh gosh, um, I don't remember life before theater. <laughs> I really don't. Um, That's perfect. Yeah, I was raised. Um, I was raised in the church um, in a traditional African American church. And if you have ever been to a traditional uh, black church um, with that was you know southern baptist it is theater <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and definitely heartfelt definitely authentic but it is performative um we use you know our bodies and our our our, our voices and our expression to um express our spirituality whether it's singing or dancing or um, oratory in the preaching, so mm-hmm. I grew up in that atmosphere. So, mm. so when I was introduced to quote unquote the theater, I was I wasn't um, kind of thrown aback. I wasn't I didn't have this oh my god moment because I had been living that, you mm. know.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: So yeah,
1: <laughs> that's fascinating. So when did you start writing please?
2: So I started, um, in the, uh, theater as an actor, right. Mm-hmm. Um, started doing plays at church and then plays at school and then, um, just continued there. I, I stopped theater for a while because I was, you know, became a teacher and, you know, that's this very serious adult position that takes your whole life of, or so they say, um, <laughs> so, I stopped it. But then after like five years of teaching, I said, I am not happy. You know, I I love teaching. I love, but something is missing. And I went to a friend of mine, actually, uh, Alexis Rosten. She was doing a play um, called Spunk at Court Theater. And I went to go see her and I was watching her on stage. I said, this is it. This is what's missing. Mm. You know, this is I have to get back into this. Um, and I kept going to see plays. I, I loved court. So I went to go see um, August Wilson's uh, um, Miss Rainey's uh, Black Bottom, um, my Rainey's Black Bottom. And um, I was just like, I got to start doing this. So I, long story short, I started auditioning and got back into theater. And then a couple of years into that, I said, oh, I'm tired of going to these auditions for there's 50 you know, black women here, and we're all here for the same one role yeah. in the show, right? Yeah. Um, and a friend of mine, Ruben, he said, well, if you want to see a different story, write it. And then there, then, I love that. you yeah. know, wow. and mm-hmm. and that was, that was the beginning of my writing career. And I, I started with a one woman show, um, kind of a tribute to Diana Ross. And um, we, yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. Yeah. So in your
0: bio you are also a teacher. How did you balance that um
2: being a, t- becoming a teacher and theater? Ah, well, being <laughs> non-equity <laughs> being non equity, I was able to, you know, the non-equity theater scene in Chicago is absolutely incredible. Um And so I was able, you know, nights and weekends for rehearsals, Mm. um, you know, and performing on nights and weekends. It's so funny. Some of my castmates were like, how many papers you got to grade today? Because I would bring papers. (laughs) Um, So when we were, you know, when I wasn't being used on stage or something like that, I would be grading papers um, at rehearsals in the dressing rooms. I would be doing. You know, grading papers and answering emails and stuff while I was backstage. Um, so yeah, it was, but it was thrilling and it was fulfilling. And it it you know, I never felt the the like, oh my god, I'm so tired and this is horrible. And you know, I never felt any of that.
1: Like it sounds like it was energizing. Actually, yeah, it was because I was yeah. doing
2: exactly what I love to do, and and it was. I, it was just, and I still feel that way. Like even now I, I feel that way. Like as long as you get to doing what you want to do and what feeds your soul, um, it's not work, mm-hmm. it just, you know, it's just who you are and which, you know, you're not tired when you're, when it's feeding your soul, when it gets draining and all that kind of stuff, you have to reevaluate. Is this still, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I'm also curious about how
2: teaching history
1: and social science has influenced your work as a theater artist.
2: Well, it's in everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always have to uh, um, work to make sure that I'm not teaching a history lesson in the show. Mm. I, you know, and and I, I think I do a pretty good job of that. But I, because it's all around us, right? History is always happening. Um, but people still are living their lives in it, right? Mm, yeah. um, so like there were, you, know, just taking an example, let's say if we're talking about a story within the Great Depression, yes, we know about the Great Depression. We know what the horrible poverty that was happening, But people still fell in love during the Great Depression. Mm. And people still, you know, had to get educated and people still like, so it's the same thing with the civil rights movement. I mean, same thing with today in the pandemic, people are still falling in love. People are still having children. People are still having to navigate life. Teenagers are still going through that awkward space, you know, mm-hmm. even through all of this. Um, and so I think that that. History should be a part of it, even if it's just kind of under the surface. Where we know that it's happening and we're affected by history. It doesn't have to be a history history lesson to for history to be present and addressed. And because for you know, we talk about politics at the dinner table. We talk about it um, at the barbershop. shop. It's just all around us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I, I find it so hard to um, balance that in my own writing, like especially if I'm writing about a time that's not our time, um, mm-hmm. to bring in that information in a way that doesn't sound like I'm teaching a history lesson. I, mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. hard. So yeah, I really it admire is.
2: Yeah, It is. But I think the key to it is, figuring out how that affects the character, mm-hmm. right? Mm. And sometimes for some it's, you know, to a large degree, sometimes it's not, it's to a very small degree. Like if I'm, you know, a 13 year old girl in the sixties, I may not, you know, and I'm, you know, in the Midwest and, you know, this may not, but if I'm in school and one of my teachers is crying because mm-hmm. President Kennedy died, that affects me, right? Mm-hmm, Without mm-hmm. me having to talk about President Kennedy dying, I'm talking, the relationship bet- with me and my teacher mm-hmm. Um, and that piece of history is brought in just kind of very simply and, and how my character thinks about that and all of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What's your uh, favorite uh, history event or? Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. What a <laughs> cool question. It is a cool <laughs> question. It's a hard question. Um, I think, oh, gosh, I, 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 maybe the 40s to the 60s. I know that's very broad. <laughs> um, but that mm. time period is just so flush with so much, mm-hmm. um, from the music to the, you know, some of my friends would say tell you that I've have you know been here before, or called me an old soul, or just because the mu- my music choices, I love jazz and blues and mm. Motown and soul music and all of that, the fashion of those times, just mm. the, you know, the women and the pearls and the the very you know um, people dressed up on a regular day just to go to the market, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just was, it's just a fascinating time for me. So that, that is my, those are my eras that I just absolutely Mm. love. It Um, feels
1: like that was a really forward looking time. Like there's mm -hmm. just a lot of uh, like energy and hope about the future Mm -hmm. maybe. And, um, I mean, I'm not a historian, but that's just in the sense that I have, like, as a lay person. Yeah. Um, and and that feels really missing from our culture right now. Mm, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I I think that, you know, it's, I, it, I mean, historically, so much happened during those times. I mean, we went through a whole world war, you know, and then the recovery after that, a, a population boom and the baby boomers, and then all of this social, you know, unrest and, and social change. Like, there's so much happened in those eras, I think, which helps to, as we see it, you know, going back, um, looking back, you know, hindsight is 2020. So I think our, you know, children and grandchildren would look back at this time like, what in the world? You know, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? Um, so, yeah, I yeah. think each generation. Because I'm sure the people who are living through it didn't feel that way.
1: Right. They just right, were in right. their
2: lives. So right. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, when I'm 80 and 90 years old, how people look back at this time. Yeah. And look back at that. Because, I mean, a lot has happened. Like the explosion of the internet, globalization, you know, the information highway and Twitter. And, yeah, you know, all the tech, just technology alone has revolutionized our lives. So- it, Don't you just imagine future
1: high school students taking a test and they have to choose like what year did this happen in? And all the answers are going to be 2020.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that'll be like a whole unit in a, in a, yeah, in right. a year. Yeah. Like 2020, the unit, like that, oh God. that's it. Yeah. Well,
1: let's switch gears a little bit. Can you tell us about Black Lives, Black Words and how you got involved
2: in that? Yeah, I was I was thinking about that um the other day and I I it started out of the uh beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Reginald Edmund just former guest on our show. <laughs> <laughs> he um he just was like there has to be a way that we as black artists express ourselves in this moment, right? This mm. was coming on the heels of uh, uh, Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland and um, others. And he just was like, there has to be something, there has to be a way. And he did, he came up with um, just kind of, it started off kind of like as these one night off one offs nights where uh, black writers were, would submit, you know, just short 10 minutes, you know, and, actors would come and and do them and there would be a talk back and it was just a a, a gathering to be you know cleansing and to be affirmed and mm. to 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 speak truth to power that was not um that was not uh controlled by the white gaze right mm-hmm. or controlled by some entity that had to make it palatable for their Patrons, right? It was just raw. Say what I feel. Say what I need to say. And I attended one of those, and I just was like, this was so powerful. There was one that after the plays were performed, we went out and marched mm-hmm. from the from That's the venue. So yeah, yeah. We went and marched down the streets, and it was just wow natural and clean it was just powerful so I just be, I became involved just to as an attendee um and then Reggie asked me to become an artistic associate and and that, yeah I was like absolutely i you know there was not a question in my mind and yeah I've been involved ever since wow and so
0: um now you have a play yeah for the Wailing women um mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd love to. Can you talk to us a little bit about the play? What inspired you to write the play? And it's going to be part of um, the season, right? The play is for the people. It's an online yeah. play season. Yeah. Could you talk to us?
2: hmm So th- it started out as, because, uh, you know, I'm in grad school. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it started out as a, an adaptation of The Suppliant Women by Euripides. It is not that. So I don't want anyone going <laughs> <laughs> it has definitely evolved from there, but it started out the the seed of the idea came from that. Um, you know, if anyone doesn't know, supplian women, uh, these women from um, Argon, their their sons went to war against Creon and lost, and now Creon refuses to allow their sons to be buried, mm-hmm. and they are trying to get Theseus to help them. You know, fight Creon to get their sons back so they can be properly buried um, as, it, as their religious custom and stuff. So I started thinking about, you know, how many, how in the ways that people, especially, you know, specifically Black people, specifically Black men or Black bodies are not allowed proper burial
1: mm-hmm.
2: or to properly rest. Um, and, you know, in in the ways that they are portrayed in the media um, or in just in the human psyche of what is America for some people. And I said, what would that look like, Um, Black women fighting for the dignity of their children? Um, And, yeah, and that's how it came to be. Yeah.
1: So um, for people who haven't read the play... Um, the two characters that you landed on are a mother who's just lost her son, and I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, no spoilers. Um, um, and so I'm wondering, how did you, how did you land on those two women as the characters for this story?
2: I wanted it to be intimate, especially because I know it's going to be virtual and Zoom, and you know, I mean. I am, I use both parts of my brain, you know, (laughs) I use both sides of my brain. So I was like, I don't want sound to be an issue or Mm -hmm. people trying to, you know, keep up with who's who on the screen and stuff. It's easier if it's in front of you, right? But on a screen, it's like, well, who's that and who's that? So I said, okay, let's just do two people and make this a two-hander so it's very clear um, people watching what, who's who and what's what. Yeah. and I wanted the mothers to both have a strong presence um and and a, a real stake in the outcome of you know what's happening so um and I think familiarity kind of breeds this inner the fact that we care about them so um having, having one mom, you know, having lost her son as you said, but then the other mom actually is a nurse in the, you know, in the mm-hmm. same facility. I just thought that that would make for um that they could talk. That you know, close they would connection. be able to talk. Yeah, have a yes. close connection and be able to talk and and once I set that up, they just started talking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They just started having they just yeah, they just they just started talking. <laughs>
0: wow so how how has this collaboration been like since
2: everything going virtual oh my goodness um collaboration with who um I guess your director or Mm -hmm. um the actors yeah Mm -hmm. it's it's just different I mean there 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 is I mean my job as a writer is not necessarily affected because we're virtual, because I can write, you know, mm-hmm. but I can imagine like being in the room, actors need to be in the room and me being an actor. If I'm in a play, it's just something about being in the room around the table on the stage with the people mm-hmm. that I'm with. That's just better. Um So, while we you know been able to talk on the phone and have zoom meetings and things like that it's still something that's not i don't i know i don't want this to be permanent i know a lot of people are embracing it and that's wonderful um yeah
1: but <laughs> I, he, I take my hat off of them. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Too. <laughs> i am not the person that says oh zoom plays and zoom theater is the wave of the future god i hope not mm-hmm. um but I I appreciate having the medium that the benefits of it is that we are not limited by geography, right? Mm-hmm. There are people that will be able to see my play that wouldn't if it was just in uh, Southern California, right? Um, there are people that can participate and collaborate with each other across geography. So I, uh, my actresses in the play, one is on the East Coast, one is on the West Coast, Um that wouldn't have been able to happen if it was, you know, geographically located in Los Angeles or in Chicago. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. That's the real opportunity. Yeah. And then you can, you know, you get to work with people and they get to work with each other. And then hopefully when everything is live again, um, you'll be able to work in person with people that you met through this virtual collaboration time. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, I think that's, that's a really exciting
2: yeah. thing Absolutely. to carry with us. Absolutely. I, so that, it, that is like you, like you said, that to me is the real gym. And if that's the case, then I can deal with this, um, this new form of, of working for now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. So
0: shifting gears again. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so are there any playwrights or plays that excite you right now?
2: Well. There's a lot because I'm (laughs) a grad school, yeah. No, but this semester uh, our professors are really kind of taking that, um, taking that Nina Simone quote, the the job of the artist is to reflect the times, quote to heart, right? Um, So we've been reading a lot of plays that would be considered, you know, under this new genre protest plays, even though they weren't considered that when they were written. So, you know, um, the normal heart by Kramer, um, uh, dealing with the, uh, HIV AIDS pandemic. Um, you know, when such he wrote it, it's such an amazing play. Um, and when he wrote it, there was really, a, you know, there wasn't a thing like a protest play, right. There, that wasn't a thing, but looking back on it, it most certainly is a protest play. Right. Um, dog eaters, switching gears of you know, looking at Filipino life and the effects of um, imperialism on the Philippines. Just all these different kinds of plays. So we got um, the Water Engine by David Mamet that I'm reading right now. Um, we read, uh, we've dealt with Day of Absence by Douglas Turner Ward, which is absolutely incredible um I got a chance to see it it was done by uh Congo Square in Chicago before the w- before the you know everything shut down mm-hmm. and it's just an incredible play that has stood the test of time and is still so relevant i think that's the biggest thing that i'm like these playwrights were prophets mm-hmm. because a lot of the themes that are dealt with in a lot of the plays that i mentioned and some that i even some that i didn't um they're just still relevant today, mm-hmm. which, you know, could be for a good thing or a horrible thing that, that some of these things are still issues that have not been solved or even some of them not even addressed in a real way by society.
1: Hmm.
0: That's so interesting. I, I feel like the word profit. I've heard that in two, like if with playwrights and stand-up mm-hmm. comedians. Like mm-hmm. I've heard being... Those two p- type of artists being prophets, which is so interesting of being the, the type of work um, that is, I, I don't know, it's like because we're living it. So we're like wanting to, uh, you know, tell the world what's happening. We want to tell the stories, what's happening because it's so affecting us so directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just an interesting way to put it, I think, the word
2: profit. Yeah. And and I think artists, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) No, I just think artists in, artists in general Mm -hmm. have a flair for the prophetic, whether it's music. I mean, listen to the music of Marvin Gaye, right? You know, like today you put a Marvin Gaye song on Mercy, Mercy Me or What's Going On or, Mm -hmm. you know, even, you know, "Center Man or, you know, any of them. Uh, There's just like, wow, this is still a thing. Right. This is still true. Um, I saw a, a, um, a meme the other day because the Simpsons, like <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things that the Simpsons pre- have done over the years, predicted over the years that I think now people are just like, oh, my God, they did it again. They did it mm-hmm. again. Like, I think a couple of years ago, they did this thing of Trump in, in, in a casket or something like that. a Trump yeah. was Trump. Like, and I was just like, oh, my God. You know, it just. I yeah. know. When you think yeah. about
1: that show is like the whole idea is wouldn't it be outrageous and hilarious if this happened? We'll make an episode about it.
2: We'll right. How these things came true. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But I do think it's kind of because the job of the artist is to imagine possible futures. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. was
0: going to say, I was watching um, SNL Saturday Night Live last night.
2: I did too. Who did? Oh, oh you did
0: sure you watch it? it was
1: it good. It was oh, good. it was so good.
0: Chris Rock's um, opening monologue, I. it was so, like, <laughs> I love that he just went right to the, the juggernaut of like just what's going on and just like telling it like it is and yeah. it's so powerful like him able to I'm so glad the the season opened with Chris Rock because he's just one of the like the most uh his stand-up comedy is just like really brilliant um mm-hmm. and so he- yeah yeah I-, I just thought I'm trying to remember one of the things he said but I'm having a hard time remember <laughs> but um yeah it was I had a good time watching it last night
2: Yeah. He was, I mean, just the fact that, like you said, just go, let's just go for it. Let's Mm -hmm. not beat around the bush. Let's talk about voting. Let's just talk about it. Mm -hmm, You know, let's talk about the fact that he now has it, even though it was a hoax. Yeah. Let's talk about it. You know, like just, Mm -hmm. just, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I loved Meg The Stallion's performance. I absolutely love the fact that, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to sing Savage, but I'm going to, subvert your expectations of mm-hmm. what the song means. Right. So yeah, I'm a savage and I'm all of those things and I'm gonna dance and I'm going to embrace my sexuality and I'm going to do all of those things, but I'm also going to tell you that you need to respect black women and protect black women yeah. and you need to not, you know, and you need to protect black men and, and that, you know, and, and, inch the, the, the artistic delivery of her doing all of that, S- while while singing this song that has just become this phenomena, this global phenomena, um, and creating a new meaning of it. Mm. You know, and then going back to the song and then twerking at the end. It was just wonderful. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it. It was absolutely yeah. wonderful. Yeah, there was
0: a whole news about that this morning when I woke up. Um Yeah, i so was
1: so glad SNL is back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was so. It was like a, it was such a weird version of SNL where like all the musicians are behind their own little glass and like hawks are wearing masks. I mean, it was another yeah. world, another it's so crazy. Jim Carrey
2: was. I mean, he has <laughs> <Yes>, Biden Biden <laughs> down pack Oh my god. I mean, but Alec Baldwin is just yeah amazing. As I mean, it was just it was the opener of them. You know, kind of recreating the um the the debate it was just really good it was, yeah it was well done
0: oh my gosh I was just thinking I was when he was uh, when Jim Carrey was playing Biden I was like I don't that's a witch of weird casting you know but then when he looked in the camera he was like I'm gonna give my, the audience a lucid look right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yes he got it he, it was on point um yeah <laughs> so funny yeah Sam you gotta watch it <laughs>
1: I don't have TV, so I can't watch it live, but I'm totally going to watch
0: yeah, it. Yeah, you can watch actually. the clips, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Well, okay, so here's a question for you, Katrina. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of a good segue, except that we just started asking this question. And, <laughs> uh, it's fun to see what people come up with. So if you could choose three playwrights, living or dead, that oh. you want to have dinner with, and let's assume there's no, there's no pandemic. So you can actually have dinner with them That's safely.
2: Dinner, right? <laughs> um, who, who would you choose? Oh man. Oh God. You all are just, geez. <laughs> okay. Um, August Wilson, mm. Lorraine Hansberry.
1: Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, oh, such a good choice.
2: And Dominique Morisot yes wow that's a good wow that's a good pick i think that would make for a very wonderful conversation no one's gonna leave this part no they're gonna stay all night i love
0: those choices
2: yeah Yeah. and then august wilson like surrounded by all these
0: these women
2: having to you know have like Cause I'm sure we'll call him to task about yeah. not only, you know, definitely thank you for your plays and all that kind of stuff, but also call him to task about, you know, women in his plays. Yeah. You know? Um, and then Lorraine Hansberry, no, you know, just so much because she, you know, passed away so, so young. young. There's so much wisdom um, that we didn't get from her. So to just be able to have that conversation and then Dominique Moore. So she is just amazing. Um, she's and just it would amazing. just be
1: so cool
2: for Lorraine Hansard and August
1: Wilson to meet you and her, and, you know, just
2: like yeah. see
1: what's happening now.
2: Right, yeah. right, right. I, I just, I, I and I, I love her for many reasons. Um, her work, it's wonderful, but also her love for her, where she's from. Um, you know, it is very clear that she loves Detroit and it, it comes through in her work. And I, I feel that way about Chicago. And I know that that is what I aspire to, to make sure that um, plays that I write that are set in Chicago, um, my love for my city comes through. You know, even if I, even in my indictment of some of the negative things that have happened or whatever, that the, the fact that I love where I come from, um, it's, it's there and it's, it's there in all her work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you think you'll go back there after you
2: graduate? I don't know. I, 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 I have gotten used to, uh, good weather all year long. Yeah. (laughs) So no, I I don't know. It's always gonna be home. I'll never say another place is home. It is. It Chicago is always my home. But oh, when you are in, you know, when you wake up and you can wear shorts in January, it's hard <laughs> it's hard to go back. Yeah,
1: I love winter. Girl. I know. I know that a lot of people disagree with me, but. I, so I lived in Chicago for a little while and I just love that like kind of steely determination to go out and see a show, even when it's like, it feels like the middle of the night at eight o'clock. And it's, you know, sweet. I, I, and, I am yeah.
2: okay with it. I, but, <laughs> uh, I, I I love, you know, I love what it, the you know, the snow. I love snow and all that kind of stuff. But when you have lived in negative Twenty, you know, walk having to walk to school mm-hmm. in below zero weather, or yeah, yeah. having you know, even you got three layers on and you're still freezing, and that is a yeah. And you're away from that; it is most certainly hard to go back
1: to. Well, especially I'm sure as a teacher, you probably had to get up super early. And, oh yes,
2: yeah. And then you know the car situation and digging yeah. out your car and having <laughs> to put a, a lawn chair in, you know. <laughs> Or just a regular chair in your parking space, so no one takes it. It's it's just a whole thing. Wow. Yeah. I uh, don't miss winter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, okay. So another question. So if you were an audience member or a reader who read your play for the first time or saw your play for the first time, how do you think how might they might dis- how might they describe you in one word?
2: Hmm. Ooh. Uh, maybe, huh. Oh, you all are coming with it today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say complex. Mm. And the reason I would say that is because I don't think there are any clear winners in, in, in my play. Um, Mm. I think the audience walks away with, questions, like questioning themselves, like who's right? Why do I think they're right? Who did I want? Who do I want to win? or Who do I agree with? But the other side has a point. So why do I, why do I value one side over the other? Like they, they walk away with questions that don't have easy answers. Um, and I think that, That's the point. I think that's one of the points in my writing because most things in life don't have easy answers. Yeah. So that's a very deep answer to your question. I love
1: it. (laughs) It's so valuable. I think it's one of the things theater can really do for us in this moment where Mm -hmm. we're so often find ourselves on these, you know, coming down, Really hard on one side or the other of an issue, and theater can remind us that most situations in life are actually, as you said, more complex than that.
2: Yeah, I think the nuance, I think that's one of the biggest things. I love Trevor Noah. I want to marry him. Um, <laughs> he is my my husband in my my imagination. Um, well, we'll have to make sure he listens to this show. Yes, please have him like call me <laughs> call me Trevor, call me. Um, uh, I think, and, and he talks about this sometimes about nuance that is missing in a lot of the conversations that we have just as people, um, in general, but even just societal conversations, political conversations, the nuance of nothing is one thing or another, right? We are not a we are not a solely capitalist society and we're not a solely socialist society either. There are these shades of it throughout our federal government, local governments, um, state governments. And we need to, when we're having these conversations about these issues, we need to take into account the nuance and the shades of things that are happening um, in our society. And people don't, like you said, they throw the gauntlet down on one side And then ignore anything else on the other side. And I'm like, that leads to a stalemate, as we've seen Mm -hmm. just in our Congress. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, they don't get a whole lot done because they don't, they refuse to deal with the nuance. Mm. We
1: have a lot of listeners on this podcast, I think, who are maybe just starting out, writing new plays, um, or maybe, you know, actors and directors who are thinking about writing a play for the first time, do you have any advice for people who are just beginning in their playwriting journey?
2: Um, I'll, I think before you start writing, the question to ask yourself is, why do I have to write? Do I have to write this play? Mm. Like, do I have to? And if it is not something you have to do, don't do it until you have to do it. And I think because to me that when it's a burning desire, it's a burning thing. You gotta, you you just gotta do it. It makes the path, um, more. It, it makes the path more clear for mm-hmm. you. Um, those characters are just talking, and you just gotta get their words out of your brain and on paper. You know, when I decided to write my first play after the one woman show, the the first play that I wrote, when I made the decision, I said, okay, I need to write this story. They, The characters just started talking. Like, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I couldn't even write fast enough to get the thoughts. It was because it was just burning inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the worst thing you can do is force a story out. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people say, oh, people are writing about this topic. I'm going to write about this topic because that means it'll get picked up. To and try then to it'll ride that wave. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And so this will get picked up and then I can be, you know, I'll be discovered and blah, 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 blah. And I think that is the, the worst thing to do. Um, because I mean, think about people that some have passed on and we didn't really even acknowledge their work or care until they passed on. You know, some of the, our biggest artists of all time, they didn't they weren't famous in their lifetime. And the purpose of art may not outlives us, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the per our art, our creations are not just for us. It may it may be for the people, your contemporaries, but it may be for generations after. So we have to be true to the authenticity of what's in our spirits when we're writing so I think that that's the best advice I can give write the story you have to write um not the story that is most um commercially acceptable or palatable or the one that you think that yeah this will get the people No, write the story that's burning in your soul even if no one gets it today you know
1: yeah Mm.
0: that's beautiful yeah Oh,
2: I got, like, goosebumps. Ah!
0: <laughs> I got goosebumps.
1: <laughs>
0: so true, yeah. All right, so last question before we move on to lessons. Um okay. How would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century?
2: Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I think, one, like I said, there is – there's so much available to you as an artist. So you don't have to be in a box. Um, there are times, you know, throughout our artistic history, you know, in this country and globally that there's a formula, right? Um, but the best artists break that formula or reform that formula or re reimagine that formula. And I think this time right now, especially with uh, technology where it is and, and, all of these mediums available to you, you don't have to put your play in a traditional space um, or wait for a theater to produce your play. You can produce your play yourself, whether you produce it in a theater uh, theater space or you know outside in a garden, in a parking lot, on a pickup truck, um, you know, in on the side of a mountain, you know, in Griffith Park, I, I, just all sorts of ways you can create your art. So I think that is the responsibility of artists to create your art in whatever means that that is Um, so art you know and I don't necessarily I don't think that it's all about protesting but I think Nina Simone was correct in reflecting the times and it doesn't not just reflecting the times politically but still reflecting that there's still joy
1: mm-hmm. even
2: in the struggle, even in the 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 strife. Um so as an and and so that's the you know flowery side of the question or but the other side of the question is in in the 21st century we have to as artists also think about producing our own art. Um, you know, the power structure being what it is, we have to think about how do we support our art? How do we we get critical mass of kind of crowd and grassroots funding um, and not have to rely on outside entities that would want to change it or revise it or, you know, not make it something that it's not. Um, How do we, how do we do that? And we, and how do we market that? How do we become smart in branding and strategizing and, and finding new avenues and new ways to present and produce our art? I think that's something that has to be on the mind of artists. I, I always think about Tyler Perry. I, I, You know, I know Tyler Perry has a, you know, a a very interesting relationship with the mainstream art world. Mm -hmm. But if we just look at Tyler Perry on on his face, he found an audience that nobody was reaching out to or nobody cared about Mm -hmm. in the quote unquote traditional theater art world, right? He found that audience and he spoke to that audience play after play after play and that audience follows him anywhere mm-hmm. they followed him into the tv world they followed him into the cinema world and he has created an empire first he found and his audience and they and was loyal to that audience And produced his own work and did not wait for anyone to produce it and didn't have to because he had a loyal following that they were going to support it. And I think that is very admirable and um, an example, I mean, to to follow, you know, which, you know, I I know people would disagree with me with that. But I I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding, (laughs) like, you know yeah like they're like my mother, my family they would they're not going downtown to downtown Chicago to see a goodman a play at the Goodman if I'm not in it or if I'm you know if I'm not mm-hmm. but they go and have gone to see every Tyler Perry production, every Tyler Perry movie they watch all the Tyler Perry shows um and that's that says something you know mm-hmm. yeah. that definitely says something.
0: Yeah, and he has one of the, I think the largest movie studio.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's bigger than like, Hollywood yeah. studios. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so he's created, like he just, he created an empire based on doing what, you know, what he knew was authentic to the audience that he he um, he brought in and yeah. he catered to. Well, you know, to your
1: I, point about, you know, writing what you need to write rather than what you see already being commercially successful. Absolutely. I just think that his career really epitomizes
2: that. Absolutely. Yeah, so.
1: Are you saying write it and they will come? If you write it, they will come. Yeah, (laughs) if you
2: write it, they will come. And, and, you know, it's so many times like we... We spend so much time, you know, like these some plays, like oh, because this is part of the American canon, whatever mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. right? We're we're gonna do this play because that's part of the American canon, and you wonder why your audience doesn't grow, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you are doing these same old plays that cater to a very specific and very privileged part of the population. And you refuse to open your minds to there are populations that are not, have not been represented, not only in, you know, on theater, in, in your theater, but in theaters across the country. How about you tap into that? Like I've Mm -hmm. seen theaters in, in neighborhoods that have completely changed, um, ethnically and, uh, racially and socioeconomically, but they continue to produce plays that have nothing to do with that population, and and they wonder why that popula the neighborhood doesn't come to the theater. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know. So I just think the role of the artist, whether whatever r- art you pr- whether you're on the stage or off the stage, or you're making the decisions as a producer, take into account the changing demographics, take into account of the stories that need to be amplified, voices that have been muted for so long. And just what who is the audience that you're trying to to reach? You know, is it is it about just the money, the patrons that are gonna buy season tickets? Okay. Be honest about that. Right. But then what happens when they pass away because they're older. Mm -hmm. How are you getting a new audience into your You know, how are you um, doing that? And as a writer, what are the stories that, you know, like I said, what are those stories that are burning in your soul that need to be told? Um, Because again, there's a way if the story needs to be told, it it can be. There's a way for it to be, whether you produce it yourself or you get some friends together and y'all come together and produce that you can do it. Like, and, and at the end of the day, don't even worry about who's going to produce it. Just write the story,
0: mm.
2: you know, write the story and, you know, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm um, I may be rambling, so free to, be, feel free to edit some of these. <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 I think
1: it's so valuable um, for people to hear that. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah. Just write your story and all the rest of that stuff will, will figure itself out later just write the story.
1: Well, before we move on to glistens, mm-hmm. um, where can our listeners
2: find you? Oh, I'm on Instagram. Yes. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can find me on Katrina D rich. I'm so bad at this se- social media thing, but, but Instagram, I do put things on. So Katrina D rich, um, on Instagram and. Yeah. Great. I'm not on Twitter. because I just I can't. But yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Instagram. Instagram is cool. is I can do pictures and comments and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: And we'll be sure to link the website to. Uh,
2: oh, Black cool. Life, yes, Words. definitely. Black Lives, Black Words. Um, I'm really, really excited. And I hope uh, you all can come and, and see what uh, Miss uh, Valerie Curtis Newton, who is the director and the actress uh, actresses do with the show um yeah i'm really excited about it so yeah yay
0: all right so uh we'll do glisten so this is the part of our show where we just um anything that stood out to us uh during the week or even today this morning maybe when you woke up
2: <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a
0: new music you learned or new head news headline anything that caught your attention um on the show I've talked about artichokes and eggplants I don't know I talked about a lot of vegetables
1: <laughs> um
0: so uh, I'll start um mm-hmm. so Mike listen this week um actually it's two now okay so Back to really quickly that SNL from Saturday Night Live. Okay, I just remember what Chris Rock said, but he said, uh, what needs to change like our relationship with the government, like our relationship with politics. Um, mm-hmm. that stood out to me in a way that I was just like, uh, yeah, he was just saying everything I was like feeling, and it was like, it was so uh it felt good to like see it on TV for some reason from like what? another voice. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all the like my emotions that I've been feeling. Um, and my second glisten is this book I started reading called Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, the Osage mm. Murders and the Birth of the FBI. Um, it's it's a nonfiction. It's by David Grant and oh my gosh. I'm only like forty pages in and it's like a real page turner. It's like the way it's written feels like a like a document like a an action movie or something. I don't know. I I looked at my um, fiance and I was just like, "This is like true crime, but for your eyes." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I "So yeah." Um. So that's a book I've been reading that I'm really liking right now. Cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing a lot of people talk about that,
0: mm-hmm. and I think it's gonna be. Adapted into a movie. I think Martin Scorsese might be directing it, I think. But, oh, wow. So that's, and that's, I, didn't, I didn't know about that until he, my uh, boyfriend told me. But,
1: yeah, I'm excited. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, do you want to go next, Katrina?
2: Um, sure, I'll go. Um, lots of glistens every day, but one that I I just think was just so cool. I am a closeted country music fan. <laughs> um. <laughs> and so one of my Pandora stations is uh, uh a country music, you know, I think it's like Ladies Love Country Boys by Trace Atkins. And so I was listening to Pandora and this song came on that I hadn't heard before. It's called Honeybee by Blake Shelton. And I absolutely loved it. Like I ended up get playing going to YouTube and playing it again and kind of over and over again. And just like some of the lyrics is, and it's a love song, but, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be your, you'll be my soft and sweet. I'll be your strong and steady. You'll be my glass of wine. I'll be your shot of whiskey. You'll be Ooh. my honey day. I'll be your shade tree. You'll be my honeysuckle. I'll be your honeybee. Like it just, I was like, even in this whole thing, I think at the end of the day, just people want that person, you know? whether it's your friend, whether it's a romantic mm. partner, whether it's Trying a child or a parent-child relationship, <laughs> you know, any whether it's your dog or your, you know, whatever, people yeah. people want that that connection and I just want um I just yearn for the day where that is easier to do. I mean, I know people are figuring it out in this virtual space, but I'm like at the end of the day without regardless of whatever's happening People want their, the honeysuckle to their honeybee. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm a hopeless romantic in that way. So that has been my, my thing for this week. Like, yeah, I, you know, I want people to, you know, be it. able to find that.
1: Aww. Yeah. And we're all just so, um, like craving that human connection right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, cool. Well, okay. So my lesson is the, um, I just I just want to take a moment and thank all the amazing journalists that have been um, keeping us informed about what is going on. Um, so Jennifer Jacobs is the reporter for Bloomberg News that broke mm-hmm. the story that Hope Hicks had tested positive, and it looks like the Trump administration was not going to tell us that information. So, you know... Um, I'm really glad she got that story out. And then also, even though it seems like a lifetime ago, the story that Trump owes $400 million and only paid $750 $750 in taxes when he he won the presidency. So the three reporters who it seems like have been working at least a year on that story are Suzanne Craig, Russ Mm -hmm. Butner, and Mike McIntyre, McIntyre. And... We are just so lucky to have journalists I mean, literally risking their lives and yeah. coronavirus infection to get us the news and tell us what's going on.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we wouldn't have known otherwise. We wouldn't have known. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Because you know, he has a way, especially he did it in the thing. He's like, I paid millions of dollars in taxes. Right. I made 17, 23 like he was just pulling numbers. Right. And um yeah, mm-hmm. it, it just is, is and very, very interesting that and the, I mean there's no fact checkers. There should be a fact checker at these debates, like pushing a button, like mm. lying.
1: <laughs> <you know, laughs> like a neon sign that could light up. Yeah, like, line, like it's just,
2: <laughs> lying, like you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I just would I would love to be that person to just be like, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah. that's a lie <laughs> it's just eh, lie, eh. Yeah. so yeah yeah
1: we definitely live in interesting times
2: interesting times which gives all of the playwrights out there all the things to write about Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> much material I know <laughs> well
1: well Katrina thank you so much for Joining us this morning. Thank afternoon. you so much. You. This was
2: this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I look forward to uh, you know, hearing you all's thoughts about the play once you see it. Yeah, uh, like to see it. you know, definitely hit me up on because I always forget to do this, hit me up on <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. Um Are you on New Play Exchange too? I am on New Play Exchange. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. So you can Hit me up on Katrina Richard. Um, I don't know what the, but if you look my name up, I'm sure that'll come up. Katrina D. Richard. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing your thoughts and, and and just talking. It's always great to talk to other writers just because we have our, we have our own language and our mm-hmm. own kind of idiosyncrasies, um, our own brand of crazy. Cause you know, look, look. Little- <laughs> a little teaspoon of crazy to be a writer because you're really talking to yourself and creating (laughs) people in your head Mm -hmm. and pulling stories out of thin air and then talking to yourself in different voices um it's a little (laughs) so So true true. (laughs)
0: yeah thank you katrina thank Thank you. you